Hey, hey, welcome to the Healthful Woman Podcast, the fastest growing podcast in women's health. Today's Monday, September 25th, 2023. Today, we are redropping the birth story of Dr. Stephanie Melka. This is our third straight Melka podcast, or what I am calling our back to back to back Melka Palooza. For those of you celebrating Yom Kippur, there's a good chance you are not listening to this podcast as, like me, you are in services right now feeling hungry, thirsty, and tired. But I hope that sometime after your break fast tonight, you get a chance to tune in and hear this awesome birth story. All right, reminder, if you're listening on Apple or Spotify, please do rate this podcast, preferably five stars. Please leave comments. Also, Another reminder, please email us any questions you may have for our mailbag. You can email us at hw at healthfulwoman.com or go to our website, www.healthfulwoman.com and click on the link that says, send us your questions. Also, if you want to pre-order the awesome book Emily Oster and I wrote called The Unexpected, we have a link on our website. You can take a look and you can order copies for you and all of your friends. All right, thanks for listening. See y'all next week. Welcome to today's episode of Healthful Woman, a podcast designed to explore topics in women's health at all stages of life. I'm your host, Dr. Nathan Fox, an OBGYN and maternal fetal medicine specialist practicing in New York City. At Healthful Woman, I speak with leaders in the field to help you learn more about women's health, pregnancy, and wellness. Dr. Stephanie Melka, glad to have you here. Thanks for having me. Wonderful. So as many of our listeners know, uh, Melka is a regular on the Health of Woman podcast, but Melka, you got a great birth story. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I I thought it would be amazing to have you on for for that part of your life as well, and so we could talk about that. Yes. Let's start from the beginning. So, just set us up. Where were you in life? What was going on? You know, in terms of when you got pregnant. I married. Uh, my husband Giles. Uh, we were living in White Plains at the time, and Hi, Giles. obviously working with the practice. <laughs> Does he listen to these? I don't think so. What? He'll probably what? listen to this one. All right, Giles, she's doing great. <laughs> <laughs> He's working from home now. Like anyone that was listening to podcasts has lost their commuting time, well, that's a good which point. was their podcast time. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Hello, Giles. Hello, Allison. Hi, Giles. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I got pregnant July of 2017. And then okay. delivered in March of 2018. Okay. And at the time uh, you got pregnant, so you were obviously working as an OBGYN uh, in our practice. How long had you been there at that time? I know the answer to that, but our, our <laughs> listeners might not. I started with the group in 2012. Okay. So it's five years. Yes. Ago. All right. And did you have any thoughts or concerns about you know the timing of getting pregnant in regard to your career, in terms of your practice? Was that something you thought about a lot or just sort of you know whatever? Not that much. I mean, I graduated residency in 2012 and mm -hmm. was single at the time and was never like, mm -hmm. I need to, you know, find someone and start a family. Like it just sort of happened over time. Okay. All right. And I think one of the interesting things about pregnancy for someone who is an OBGYN is this, you're in the world already yes. and decisions you make are going to be very interesting. Like, for example, how do you decide who your own doctor was going to be? I needed someone that I would listen to, not someone that was like my friend or my colleague or someone that was junior to me. You know, not, I mean, obviously I work with a lot of people that I trust and respect, but like I needed to 
truly be the patient. You mean for your own sake? You yes. just know your own personality. And for Giles' sake. <laughs> I mean, because he could say, you know, listen to your doctor. and well, not early on when he and I were dating, I forget what happened. I think I had a cold or something and it wasn't going away. And I was like, I'll just write myself for a pack. And he's mm-hmm. like, you can't do that. You have to see a doctor. I'm like, oh, honey, let's talk. <laughs> like, I am a doctor. So, right. And then we were doing this. He's like, can you not be your own doctor? Like, can your doctor not be like you or one of your friends? And I'm like, fair enough. Right. And that's a, that's sort of like a, a general concept in medicine, this idea. Number one, you're not supposed to really like, quote unquote, treat your family members. Uh, and some of that's just because there's not a conflict of interest, but it's hard to think sometimes rationally. And it's hard to think sort of um, you want to be detached from the situation in a sense um, for OBGYN people, you know, frequently freaking ask me, like, did you deliver your own kids? I'm like, no, <laughs> like, no, I did not. And first of all, just I didn't want to. My wife certainly didn't want me to. But also it's like, what if you're there at delivery and things are going wrong? It's too emotional. It's not just a kid. Mm-hmm. It's my kid, right? Yes. It's not just, you know, a woman. It's my wife. And so it's very hard to sort of be in that situation. And so, okay, treating yourself is, I think people just think you're just going to make bad decisions. You're yeah. not going to do the right test. Like, oh, I don't want to do that. It seems hard or this. And I would either not do anything or do way too much. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And then for picking an obstetrician, he said, okay, you want someone who is, you're going to respect, you're going to trust, who's maybe more senior to you. Um, But how about deciding whether it should be someone that you knew, like I know this person already versus going somewhere totally different, like to a different hospital and just like throwing yourself into that practice? I knew that I wanted to stay at Sinai Mm -hmm. because I think being with since I trained there and have only worked there, I mm-hmm. feel like I trust people there on a different level than somewhere else. You know, if you're going to a new place entirely, you do get sort of the anonymity where you're just kind of walking in and you're any old person as right. opposed to now when it's someone you know, you're like, oh, so-and-so is here. Right. But I kind of wanted that familiarity. And it kind of helps if you have to call in a favor or two <laughs> from time to time to like know somebody. Right. Like, hey, can you give me a better room? Did you have any concerns about privacy, for example, that so many people who you know are now going to know your business? Uh, whatever. I mean, you know, I, I, if there is business, you know. I didn't because having taking care of people in the Sinai system, you know, right. nurses, residents, other OBs, like we don't talk about that stuff with each other. Right. You know, if I had someone in labor, nobody's like sitting there opening their chart, reading all their history. Like we're still professional about it. I agree. It tends to be a greater fear of a problem than an actual problem. I think that really, I mean, we know the people we work with, but everyone knows like what's appropriate, what's inappropriate uh, and where the lines are drawn. And so on the one hand, if I see someone who I know who's there in labor or their partner's there in labor or whatever it is, it's nice that I know them. I can say hello to them, but I'm not going to know their business. I'm not going to know what's actually going on unless they want me to know because yeah. I'm taking care of them. And as you said, it, there is something nice about having a familiar group of people taking yeah. care of you. It takes away some of the fear sometimes that can come about. Okay, so you pick your obstetrician and you're going along in pregnancy. And How was that for you, just in general? It was weird. (laughs) (laughs) In what way? Because it's all the things that I would talk about with patients, but never experienced. Mm -hmm. And now I was experiencing it. And now I was like, oh, now I get it. (laughs) So anything in particular that really hit you in terms of an experience? Really bad fatigue early on Uh um, in terms of like- We thought you were just lazy. Yeah. And I, I, you know what? True story. I am lazy. I just- (laughs) lie and pretend it was I'm sorry, my, fatigue. Actually, I'm, I'm, I apologize. Um, my wife tells me that 
we're not supposed to use the term lazy. She doesn't use it about children. Unmotivated oh. is the right word. So we just thought no, you were yeah, we thought you were, we thought you were unmotivated. Uh, yeah, that's rough. And listen, it's it's uh, many many people have difficult jobs in in you know uh, in various fields of whatever. Being an OBGYN is a hard job mm-hmm. physically. You're talking staying up nights. You, you miss meals. You're working long hours. It's hard. It's hard to do when you're pregnant. It's hard to do first trimester. Do, you know, do you have a lot of nausea and vomiting? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Which, if you know me, I'm motivated by food. <laughs> and it was very weird. Again, in pregnancy, you normally talk about like morning sickness and first trimester nausea. And for me, it was always evening and nighttime to the yeah. point where like Giles almost got worried that I would get home from work and not eat anything. And I had to like connect him, I think. Right. With, he knew you were pregnant, right? He did. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I had to connect him, I think, with Jamie Miller to be like, dude, she's eating like a breakfast sandwich every day and a full <laughs> lunch. Like she's getting in enough food. Just she's not eating a dinner. Let it go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then you also I remember you had a ton of heartburn. Oh, my God. It was miserable. <laughs> yeah, That was that's not good for someone who likes Poor to Giles eat. really on Friday night, like getting home and making pizza mm. and had to stop it. I mean, or he could, and I just couldn't eat it, and it wasn't the same anymore. <laughs> so I'm curious, what what did you do in terms of just those sort of not run of the mill, but common symptoms that women get in pregnancy, and you're having them? Did you even talk to your OB about it? You're just like, I all actually, right, I know this, and I'm going to deal with this myself. I'm so curious about these things. I I did, you know, when I with the nausea, I was like, I need to start diclegis. Okay. Right. Now I'm maxed out on diclegis. Mm-hmm. I think I called Meredith Sure and I was yeah. like, I need to take something else. And right. she's like, so let me tell you about I'm like, I know. Just <laughs> just give me Reglan, <laughs> please. Right. Right. I should have had her on at the same time because it's it's also hard as an OB yes. to take care of it, to take care of an OB. Because on the one hand, you want to be like, I want to treat this person like I treat everybody else. I don't mm-hmm. want to like give you know less than standard prenatal care i want to tell her you know but on the other hand you're like but she knows this like what like what am i doing (laughs) what am i doing here when we were having our kids it was similar but i wasn't done with my training meaning i had my kids really young so our twins were born and i was in medical school so i don't know anything obviously i'm a medical student you know (laughs) i I, I knew nothing from nothing and then our third born was i was a resident so you knew a lot, but you know, you're still mm-hmm. not done. And then our fourth is around as a fellow. So I, I definitely knew what was going on, but it, it's, it wasn't the same thing because I wasn't really taking care of patients in the same way. So I never really had, first, I wasn't pregnant myself, obviously, but I never had the same sort of experience that you did about being like in practice, taking yeah. care of patients at the same time that you are a patient mm-hmm. yourself. Did your patients know that you were pregnant or at what point did they know? Obviously, at some point they figured it out. I didn't tell a lot of people early on. Mm-hmm. I think there were a few early on that came in with like a due date a month after me that were like, oh, you can deliver my baby again. That I had to quietly be like, <laughs> well, I might not be able to. You can deliver mine. <laughs> <laughs> and then I think on Halloween, I wore one of the maternity shirts with like mm-hmm. the picture on the baby bump. And if you ever watched Ninja Turtles, it had a picture of Krang on it with a little pacifier in his mouth. <laughs> and that's when people were like, oh, <laughs> oh, OK. That's why you're so unmotivated. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I get it. All right. And did you find that once it was you know, out in the open that it was a bonding thing with patients that you would talk about it? Or was it just something you you kept separate? How did that work? I never brought it up. Some patients did ask. Some had almost like no filter, like patients I've known for years. Like there's no boundaries. They're like, oh my God, what is it like for you? Who are you seeing? Right. Are they delivering you here? Or where are you going? Do you have bad heartburn? Do you have this? Do you have that? And then others 
just didn't ask or say anything. Mm -hmm. Even though they obviously knew what was yeah. going on. That's And then I'm also curious, you know, as an OB, obviously there's a lot of really like fun, cool things. If, you know, you're the same gestational age as somebody else or this, that, but we see a lot of bad things happen. Yeah. And I'm curious, number one, how did that feel yourself in terms, did it trigger anything yourself? Like, oh my God, like now I'm worried this could happen to me. That's the first aspect. And the second aspect, did you have this sense like, oh, I'm going to come in pregnant and it's going to trigger her because here I am with a healthy pregnancy and she's not. How did you deal you know, with those? I had, I can think of two patients in particular right around when I was like 22 weeks where it was obvious that they had not good outcomes in the second trimester. And right. they felt bad for me. Like I remember being in the operating room, like holding their hand and they were like, I'm sorry you have to deal with this while you're pregnant. Wow. <laughs> and I'm like, that's so kind of you. That's amazing. Actually. It, it really was. That someone could have that, have that thought process while undergoing such a horrible situation to yeah. think about you. That's really, that's impressive. They've both gone on to have children. Mm. Um, I delivered one of them and it, it sort of like became a bonding thing in like a right. kind of a different way. That's really nice. Yeah. I, I, yeah. That, that I don't, I don't want to say I'm floored because I know how amazing, you know, our patients are and how amazing people yeah, it, are. It was, it was the opposite of what I was expecting. You know, I was expecting yeah. them to have that not anger, but that like, well, oh, you're pregnant and I can't believe now I have to like see you being pregnant, taking care of me. And it was the opposite. I remember we had a similar situation, not the exact same situation where we had a patient who really horrible outcome happened to the mother and the husband came and visited us. And he actually, he said, I really feel bad for all of you. Like, how are you guys yeah. doing? And it's, it's just, it's amazing that people think that way and yeah. feel that way, and it's more common than people think. And I think it's also this relationship that patients and doctors build with each other, particularly over the course of a pregnancy, because it's not a one-time thing. You're seeing someone for a year mm -hmm. straight, and they're coming in every month, every week, and there's a real back and forth bond that develops. That, yeah. you know, we have empathy for them, they have empathy for us, and it's a real relationship. And I think that's that's really interesting. Well, so. Okay, and so your your pregnancy is is going along. <laughs> and, oh, one more thing you you went backpacking like in the middle of nowhere, right? <laughs> so, from my first visit, Giles came. He was like doing the dad thing. Okay, I'll come along, and then we sit down in the office with Meredith Shar, and we're mm -hmm. going over stuff. And I think Giles is like, she's eating a lot of junk food. And she Meredith, Meredith or she no, you? Me. <laughs> and I'm like, so why is Meredith yeah, so much eating junk food? normal food? I'm like, I have chips from time to time. And yeah. Meredith's like, okay, well-balanced diet. You can have chips. Like, Giles, leave her alone. <laughs> and then I was like, so I like to run. And I signed up for the Marine Corps Marathon in October when I'll be 20 weeks. And she's like, what the F is wrong with you? <laughs> Smoke coming you out of her not. ears. <laughs> <laughs> you are not. I'm like, but I have friends that have done it. And she's like, and what's your level of exercise been like the last couple weeks? I'm like, nothing. And she's like, just stop. <laughs> I know it's bragging rights. I know you want to do it, but no. And I was like, okay, fine. And then Giles was like, I like this doctor. <laughs> and then he never came to a visit again. He this came to sonograms, but he's like, I know you're going to listen to your doctors. <laughs> yeah, I know Giles, he's thinking, this is the first person I've ever met. 
who she listens to. Yes, not even him. <laughs> yeah, he's like, wow, this is an amazing person to have in my life. And then I was like, so we have this trip planned in August to go backpacking in Canada. And I think she might have thought I was talking about camping. I've still never really asked her and I don't want to upset her anymore. <laughs> but yeah, we had booked this trip um, with a friend of ours to go backpacking in Canada. We did two three-day trips mm -hmm. in Yoho and Jasper. Mm -hmm. And we had booked it not knowing what was going to happen. And then we were like, oh, it's 10 weeks. Okay. And I'm like, well, I feel okay enough. Um, they were short trips, so wasn't carrying that much stuff. And yeah. But weren't you only reachable by weeks? like satellite phone or something? Correct. <laughs> it wasn't like our Alaska trip where we were like really in the wilderness. Like you could get out of the woods in a couple miles if you had to. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I'm 10 weeks, I'm, I'm probably fine, but it would be fun. Like wake up in the morning, like filter water, take my Reglan and Bongesta and yeah. prenatal <laughs> vitamin and baby aspirin for the day. It's so funny that you mentioned that because when, when Michal was pregnant with the twins, we went, we had a trip planned to Alaska <laughs> and we went, we went, so we went to Alaska and we were in, we went to, into Denali. And again, this was pre any phone. I mean, we were we were seven hours from the closest like payphone, and we went and we came back. And at the time we went, she was like, I don't remember exactly, somewhere twenty to twenty four weeks, right there. And we get back, and at the next prenatal visit, you know, we're there, and it's you know, she's with Charlie Bacall, and we're telling him we were went to Alaska. He's like, what? And we're like, yeah. He's like, what? Where'd you go? We're like Alaska. He's like, what the hell's wrong with you guys? <laughs> he's like, there's no way you should have done that. And he's like, don't you know any better? I said, I'm a medical student. I don't know anything. I was like, I know nothing. I was like, was that a problem? He's like, huge problem. What if something happened? I was like, oh yeah, what if something happened? He's like, where were you gone? What have you done? I was like, I have no idea. That's good a good question. point. He's like, yeah, good point. All right, lesson one. You know, and so it was. Oh, he was so mad. <laughs> that's a good thing. That's one of those things. Better to ask for forgiveness than ask for permission. permission. Yes. <laughs> um, but it wasn't like we said, oh, we can't ask him. We had no idea. We didn't think it was a problem. Well, yeah. It's fine. It's all good. Pregnancy's going sort of, you know, moving along. And then you exploded. Yes. So let's let's talk about that. <laughs> so, so, so what happened that really made it a lot of fun? So it was 33. Three weeks, mm -hmm. I was on call because, mm -hmm. of course, I'm crazy and insisted on continuing to take call and work. Yeah, thank God um, for, for you doing right? that. Yeah. <laughs> Look, it's a real thing. You don't want to be, oh, I'm pregnant, I can't work because then other people have to work more. And yeah, yeah. I wasn't doing anything unsafe. Right. It was just not as fun. <laughs> so, you know. For a couple of days, I was like kind of feeling off, but it was the usual stuff, like mm -hmm. not not great appetite, like eating a little bit less than it would pick up. And that day I didn't eat breakfast. I had a big lunch. You and I had a section in the morning. Then I delivered someone. Then I had a nullip that was fully and I pushed with her for an hour. And I remember like, oh, let me sit down while I'm pushing. It's just more comfortable. And I pull in a little stool and deliver mm -hmm. and Everything goes fine. Mm -hmm. And then I start getting like right lower quadrant pain as I'm like doing her paperwork. And in my mind, I'm like, I got to finish this delivery summary. I got to finish the birth certificate. <laughs> right. I can't leave this with Fox. <laughs> I'll be so pissed off. <laughs> and then I just, I leave TMI, go to the bathroom, like absolutely puke my brains out. Uh -huh. And I think, oh, I must have eaten something bad. I have a little bit of a stomach bug. And then I go back to do more paperwork. I'm like, nope, back to the bathroom. And then I go upstairs to the call room and I lay down. And now I'm in like 
kind of severe pain. And I'm like, what the F is going on? And again, it's like severe right abdominal pain. Right. And it's it's, it's at night now, right? Night, yes. Yeah. It's probably like nine o'clock at night now. Mm-hmm. And I call you because mm-hmm. you're my backup. And I'm like. Because I'm your wingman. Yes. <laughs> you are my wingman. I'm, I'm glad you finally got it right. Because I'm your wingman. And I remember saying, I, I'm in a lot of pain. I need you to come in. And you were like, uh, what do you think is going on? What are you going to do? I'm like, I don't know. I'm going to page my doctors and go check in downstairs. <laughs> and I page and I think Meredith was on and I'm like, I don't know what's going on. And I think she's like trying to do the doctor thing and ask me questions. And I'm like, no, I don't have anything else. I'm just in pain. I'm going to the labor floor. And she's like, okay. <laughs> and then like I go downstairs and I have this sense to like ask Dave Lubell to watch our tracing of our induction right. or something. Meredith has now called the labor floor. Diana, the charge nurse, thinks this is a joke. Because right. again, I was just there all day, did a delivery. Everything was fine. And they're like, Milk is coming in in a ton of pain. And they're like, no, she's not. She's fine. She's like right over there. Yeah. They bring me in the room. I need three narcotics to finally get my pain under control. I called Giles. I'm like, I'm in a lot of pain. I don't know what's going on. You should get here. And he's all flustered. He comes in. We do a sonogram and I've got hydronephrosis, the tube connecting my kidney to my bladder is enlarged so we're all like great a kidney stone (laughs) so we call urology go back um, on the floor and again you and meredith and giles are all in the room i've now i was technically your uh mfm consultant at the time meredith's like (laughs) because because we work with meredith and practice all the time she's like are you able to do a consultation on melka i was like yeah (laughs) (laughs) you're like (laughs) done you bet i can all right (laughs) And I remember sitting there and like watching the wheels turning in everyone's head because I'm now on, I've gotten morphine. I've gotten IV morphine, IV dilaudid, and then IV fentanyl. Right. God bless Ben Tory for being on call that night and being a saint and coming in and like getting me somewhat comfortable. The anesthesiologist. Yes. Right. And (laughs) and, and I I can definitely testify to the fact that it did not knock you out because you were quite potty mouth yes drop, drop, <laughs> if you ever you know drop an, it was it was an r-rated yeah. uh triage was like, drop an f-bombs left and right that's how much pain Malka was in yes yes <laughs> it was pretty gruesome i mean to see someone in that much pain and also first of all i know that you're you're not a complainer right yes. so you're, you're not you're not gonna be complaining about pain unless you're in terrible pain. number one you would never you know call me in, call Giles, call your doctor, unless you thought like, I'm going to die. Like I'm in really, really <laughs> terrible pain. And you can just tell you're writhing. It's just horrible. Yeah. And so, so yeah, it's uh, and that's a, that's a tough spot to be in. In my mind, by the way, I did censor myself once because I was about to say something. I'm like, I can't say that in front of Fox. That will offend him. Like that's too dirty of a curse word for him. I wouldn't even know what it meant. I don't know. I'm too, I'm too innocent. You're at a different, you have like a PhD in this and I'm like at a, I know I have to, you know, at a high school level. I don't know anything. So I'm, 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 Yeshiva education did not teach me enough, uh, you know, in this regard. It's 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 hard. So I'm just trying. At some point, yeah. we, uh. I don't know if we're going to delete this out or not, but no way. They <laughs> they figure it's a kidney stone and Meredith's like, great, call urology. Brittany Roser, the mm-hmm. resident who was an intern at the time, pages this resident at home, gets her to come in. And the resident comes in and is like, oh, we see this all the time in pregnancy. And I remember you and Meredith looking at each other. 
Giles looking confused. And I think I was like, F off. No, we don't. Or something like that. Like, like <laughs> we like, might see this a no. lot, but not like this. Yeah, <laughs> it's <we>? like, no. <laughs> like, no. wrong. Next, <laughs> next answer, please. The I, I'm trying to tell me with aside from being, you know, partially stoned and all the medication they gave you. What are you thinking? Is it is it pain? Is it fear? Is it like irritation that you know this is going to like lay you up for a long time? Like what what, what exactly is swirling through your head at this time? When I because you know more than you you know more right. than you should. When I first got into room twenty four, I remember mm. in my mind I was still like analytical about it and not scared, but I was like I don't know what this is. Like right. it's not my appendix because I'm not throwing up more and it came on so quick. It doesn't seem like preterm labor. Am I abrupting? Like, but I'm not bleeding. Maybe this is what an abruption feels like. And in my mind, I'm like, and it's not my kidney because I don't have back pain. Because typically when it's a kidney stone or a kidney infection, it's always back pain. Right. And I think even when I was in the call room upstairs, I was like hitting my back. I was like, are my kidneys okay? So I had gone through all that and I was like, what? is going on and then when i finally got in the bed and got meds i was just like i'm i'm done like (laughs) you guys are here you can figure it out yeah just keep keep the fentanyl coming and i'm gonna outsource the yeah and it was just the thinking to you guys yes it was just an unbelievable level of pain i i can't even explain it and then I think I was getting more comfortable and I was falling asleep and i would wake up and like curse again i think i remember meredith being like well, you seem a little bit better. And in my mind, I was like, I think I'm just snowed. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's yeah, it's listen, obviously, it was it was very clear to anyone around that you're in a ton of pain. And it's, it's sort of the same thing. And I know we're thinking the same things. But what is this? Is it this? And, and we're, we're going through the same things you're going to be going through until your you know brain wasn't working anymore. But at a certain point, you do have to just relinquish this and say, all right, I'm, it's not me. I'm just gonna like, try to sleep here and let these people figure out what's yeah. going on. Was that something that you were concerned about? You're just like, I-, I trust these people. No, I'm done. I had zero concern. Yeah. I mean, some people I... have a very difficult time with that, even if they're not doctors. Some people just cannot give up that control over the situation to others. It's hard. And I remember like that all kind of going through my mind and thinking like, this is what it's like for patients. Like, this is really freaking scary. Like, yeah. imagine if I had no idea what was going on. Right. And like, I can remember like, you know, Diana, again, came in the room, put in my IV, like drew bloods, like the resident came in and like ordered whatever needed to be ordered. And I remember just thinking like, I'm so happy everyone's here. Right. It's interesting because as doctors, we sometimes forget that because I don't mean as the patients, like as the doctors, we we sort of start thinking immediately like, okay, is it a kidney stone? Is it appendicitis? And we start going through in our heads and we're sort of like rapidly trying to process this, you know, what is happening and what do I need to do? But on the patient's end, most of them don't have that level of knowledge that you have. And so sometimes all it takes is for one of us to say to the patients, like, you're not going to die. You're going to be okay. We'll take care of you. And your baby's going to be okay. Like, I don't know what this is, but I know what it's not. And you are both going to be okay. And we sometimes forget to even tell them that. And we just start going through, is it this? Is it this? Is it this? And they're thinking not, what do I have? But is my baby going to live? Am I going to be okay? And Uh It's one of these things in our end to really, we have to go back to the the basics. Like, what are people actually thinking about in that situation? And most of them are not poking their back to see if it's a kidney right. stone you know, versus an abruption. They're like, am I going to die? 
because it's such a horrible place to be. Yeah. And that's on us to remember mm-hmm. to do that, to reassure people. Okay. So you're in the, you're in the hospital and ultimately, right? We made the, what was the diagnosis? So the next day <laughs> I get a CAT scan because they're like, okay, it's a stone. Let's get a CAT scan. Let's see what it looks like. And on CAT scan, there's no kidney stone. Mm-hmm. There's now fluid around my kidney. So we like to say my kidney exploded. Kaboom. And it was basically my uterus compressing my ureter, which right. was preventing the kidney from draining fluid. I don't know if I ever told you this. While I was in radiology, I was, or as I was going down, I texted a patient of ours that I delivered who was a radiology resident at the time. And I was like, hey, I'm pregnant. I think I have a kidney stone. I'm getting a CAT scan. Are you around? And she came over and is like, what the hell is going on? (laughs) And then I get the CAT scan and she comes over to me and is like, hey, the attending's reading your films now. Do you want to see it? So I'm like, sure. (laughs) So I've now got the IV pole, the hospital gown, walking into the radiology reading room. And I go, hey, there's a baby in there. And they all just look at me. And I'm like, I don't know. I thought that was the funniest joke in the world. (laughs) And I'm like, where's the stone? And they're like, there's no stone. I'm like, what do you mean? (laughs) Your kidney exploded, ma'am. Yes. (laughs) Someone put a grenade inside your kidney. So on the one hand, when the diagnosis is made, was that was that a relief to you that at least you know what it is? Or was it was it scary or just like cool? Uh, Just whatever. Yeah. You know, it's just like <laughs> a name to this thing. And like, yeah. okay, now what? Yeah, that's the thing. And we always talk about like your biggest risk factors being an OB. Like, of course, something crazy is yes. going to happen to you. I mean, we we see this complication, well, definitely less than once a year. So it's less than once in a thousand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And of course, you yes. have it. So then <laughs> and ultimately, what did you need at that point? Um, so I needed a nephrostomy. So then the urologist, Neil Grapstein, who was wonderful, right. comes in, Giles is there and he's like, all right. Right. And you, know, and you know, Neil. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I had worked with him as a resident. Yeah. Like, so I knew of him peripherally and I'm yeah. like, oh yeah, I did a case with him when I was a chief. He's great. Okay. Yeah. Whatever. He's a good dude. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he was wonderful. Um, He's like, so we could do a stent, you know, and put a little tube in the ureter and it's going to cause some discomfort and you're probably going to have spasms and need to be on pain medication, but it's there. Or we can, you know, basically put a tube through your side and drain your kidney into right. a little pee bag for right. a couple of weeks. And that's, you're going to be fine. You know, people tolerate it really well, but you have a pee bag out of your <laughs> side. And I was like, sign me up for the stent. And he's like, well, <laughs> he's like, look, I'll do either, but you really should, whatever. And then he's like, talk about it. And he leaves the room and Giles looks at me and is like, you remember when we said that you were going to listen to your doctors? And I was like, oh, fine. <laughs> so for our listeners, assuming everything is well, we have two kidneys, one on our right, one on our left. They're in, they're sort of in our back. And what was proposed to Melka is they're going to basically take her to the radiology suite, give her some you know, numbing medicine, but basically poke a tube through the skin in her back, through her back, into, into her kidney, kidney yes. leave it in there. And then basically attach a little hose to that thing to drain into a bag that is strapped to her leg, essentially, for the next, I don't know, two months yes. or, or so. <laughs> and so your your right kidney is draining into a bag. Yes. And your left kidney is still working. So you still do pee Correct. also. Yes. Right. So you get double whammy there. Yes. And that's just going to be there. And that's that was the plan. Yes. And so how did that go? It went really well. Friday that they scheduled the case for, Rocco who's my mm-hmm. anesthesia friend who's been like a good friend since med school and it's like your birthday today isn't it it is yeah happy birthday Rocco yes. <laughs> we love you she's like my personal anesthesiologist right she's doing the procedure and when she's talking to me about it I again in like this is like the fentanyl haze I was in mm-hmm. I was like 
you should have one of the OB anesthesia fellows join you because they need cases that aren't deliveries. And because I like had that conversation with like Balin and Zahn two weeks ago. And I'm like, why is my mind going to this stuff? We go to IR. And again, it was the same thing. Like the fellow came and is like, so I have to talk to you about the risks and benefits. And I'm like, you know what? Like, I, I don't know that much about this. Right. Like, go for right. it. Pretend, pretend I know nothing. Yeah. Pretend I know nothing. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm in IR and like. Interventional like, radiology. And, yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's the radiology suite. Okay. So basically they do like a CAT scan again and look and they give me, I think, IV Versed. Right. Something where I'm just like. Yeah. Happy and sleepy. Right. And then they numb the skin. It's like. Yeah. Bottom of my like rib cage on the right side. Yeah. On the back. Yes. Yeah. And then while they're doing x-ray, basically like jab in a giant needle and then put a little tube in and then pull out the needle and the tube stays. Right. It's almost like an IV, but instead of going into a vein, it's going into a into kidney. A kidney. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. But conceptually, it's the same thing we do for a lot of things, but it's it's it has to be, you know, make sure you're getting the right spot. Yes. Okay. So then I'm there thinking like, yeah, you know, when we talk, it was fluoroscopy. So it's like the fancy radiology stuff. I'm like, this is like the real deal, like radiation that you tell people like, yeah, if you had to get it like once or twice in a pregnancy, it's probably fine. And I'm like, and of course I'm laying here right now. Right. (laughs) What the hell? Yeah. No, the fear with fluoroscopy, it's a lot of, it's, it's like, it's live x-raying. And yeah. so there's more radiation exposure to the fetus. Generally, it can be done in a way that's safe, particularly if it's in your kidney and this. But yeah, it's something to talk about. It's You wouldn't do it you know, for no reason whatsoever. Right. But the alternative is really, there is no alternative. I mean, because yeah, we could deliver the baby at 33 weeks and that relieves your kidney, but- that then you have a preterm yeah. child and there's you know risk to that too. And so it's it's tough. I and mean, we were speaking about this and yeah. it's, uh, it's a hard situation. Then afterwards- for your recovery. That yeah. was an interesting thing about whether you go to work or not. Yeah. And I remember that was, you eventually had to just give up. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, the procedure went fine. I went back upstairs and it was amazing. Like I got off fentanyl right away. Like right. that area was a little bit sore, but I was like, this is great. Okay. Yeah. And then like the next day, like because Meredith on call again and is like, you're taking off work next week. And I was like, I don't want to. <laughs> and she's like, stop it. I want to go like, to work. Mm. It was a Thursday night when you were on call initially, I think. Wednesday night. Wednesday night. Yeah. Right, right, right. Because so I used to do night. Wednesdays and then right. my procedure was Friday and right. I went home Saturday. Yeah. Okay. It was actually Bender as the voice of reason that right. is like, you have a tube going into one of your organs. You are not setting foot in the hospital mm-hmm. And getting MRSA or God knows what yeah. until you're ready to deliver. And I was like, but, and he's like, stop it. <laughs> right. Enough. Yes. <laughs> Pretty much. Enough, young Melka. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and again, I was like, all right, fine. I know. Yeah. Now, America's, we had that conversation and you're like, listen, I just, you know, Merit does, I was like, Merit, I was like, it's not Merit. It's just don't work. Like, what do you, like, what do you have here? I was like, what are you here? Yeah. Yes, I am out of my yeah. mind. You know this. <laughs> right. It's a good point. Or you're in your mind, but your mind is off. Yeah. The I mean, eventually you you after was it like three weeks or something, you were in the office, you would, you know, see I some patients. The week, I, yeah. I I went back to the office. I think I worked like eight to three or something. Yeah. So that way I could drive in and out without like a ton of traffic. And, right. Because I also told Meredith, I was like, I'm not staying home. Like I feel fine. What am right. I going to do? Like sit at home and do nothing for right. seven weeks now? Right. So yeah, I just sat in the office and right. I would see patients. Did the patients know that this had happened to you? Like, could they see your 
They bag. couldn't. So the beautiful thing about maternity clothes, because they have that like big elastic thing that goes all the way up, you right. could just tuck the bag in the side and right. it would just sit there and never knew. Wow. There were a few patients that I told because like I was supposed to have delivered them right, and right, then right. we had a cancel. I think you ended up delivering one and right. she was like worried about me. And then she's like, are you okay? And I, I was like, like, why aren't you worried about me? I'm delivering you now instead of Melka. <laughs> you know, I could be home with my family. You're worrying about the wrong person. You know, she's she's at she's at home having a Pepsi. Yeah. You know? <laughs> no, no, no. We worry about Melka. Of course. What was it like shifting from uh, sort of a pregnant patient to quote unquote like now you're a high risk patient? You're all this stuff going on. You're people worrying about you. You're seeing all these specialists. Was I just, uh, yeah? It was, was it just, just like whatever? Like, throw my hands up in the air. And yeah. I was like whatever. Like uh, you're like of course <laughs> this is gonna happen to me. Yeah. And then, like, I think when I was seeing Grafstein and he's, like, trying to figure out, like, when do we take it out? What imaging do we do? And he was, like, asking me something. I'm, like, whatever you want. I I don't care. (laughs) I give up. I think he, like, felt bad and wanted to try to take it out sooner. But what if it wasn't ready? I'm, like, I I I appreciate it, but I I don't care. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Whatever you want. Yeah, whatever is best. And then then at what point did you deliver? 40-plus weeks. Wow, you went all the way to your due I date. I did, which was also funny because I remember some of you guys, I think Rebarber was like, I would just deliver you at 37 weeks. Right. Like, you have a tube. And yeah. you were like, no, why? You could wait. Yeah. I had asked early on, like, could I just have a scheduled section? Like, and they were like, yeah, we would. But then by that point, I'm like, yeah, let me just not do that. <laughs> right, right. No, I mean, it's it's one of these things where... There isn't a right or wrong answer. It's, yeah, you can get delivered a little bit earlier and it's probably fine for the baby and it's probably fine for you, but there's a little bit risk going earlier and mm-hmm. you can wait longer and it's probably fine for you and probably fine for the baby, yeah. but there's a little, little risk on that end too. And ultimately you were doing really well and you wanted, you know, it, it did increase your chance probably of a vaginal delivery waiting a little bit longer. Yeah. Um, and it worked I, out. You I know? will In say, retrospect, yeah. it was the right decision. Yes. You know? When I was admitted, one of my friends at Sinai had texted me and said, I'm really sorry. I noticed your name on Epic. Is everything okay? Can I do anything? And I was like, oh boy, let me tell you what's going on. Uh-huh. And Apparently, when the residents signed out each morning, they never said it was me. (laughs) So like half of the labor floor didn't know it was me on Thursday Mm. until I'm like getting wheeled through on the stretcher going down for CAT scan. Everyone's like, what the hell? Right. You're you're just the one in 24. Right. You're just (laughs) SM 33 weeks with right pain. Yes. (laughs) So actually, it really did speak to people. Yeah. You know, honoring my privacy and not like, you know talking or anything right and then how did the um how'd the labor and the delivery go oh god (laughs) (laughs) very long induction induction started at midnight and then i delivered 27 hours later Mm. by forceps after pushing for an hour and a half which again yeah when somebody asks can i have a scheduled c-section they will always end up with a long labor and long pushing (laughs) and forceps (laughs) but it, it is it is um poetic yes. that you were delivered by forceps because yes. it's one of the things <laughs> one of the things you you do yourself and so bring it yeah yeah okay but that's great and again like in labor i was just like okay whatever <laughs> right towards the end i was like how low is the head and i think michelle silverstein who delivered me like kind of knew what i was getting at and right. she's like it's almost low enough if i had to i was like okay good that's all i need to know that's uh that's great and so tell us about your 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 baby <laughs> so allison is now she'll be three in march uh-huh. so i don't know when this episode is gonna air but probably know. march great she is um 
like you, a loquacious young lady. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) You know, getting ready for delivery. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things we've talked about is how are you feeding the baby? Are you breastfeeding or whatever? And I, like most people, was like, well, of course I want to breastfeed, but let me see what happens. And as I was going through all of this and it was just becoming like worse and worse, Mm -hmm. I was like, now I understand why people really want to breastfeed. Right. <laughs> like it's something normal right. about an entirely miserable process. Right. It just sort of brings it back to like, okay, this is how it's supposed to be yes. in, a, in a certain way. And so you deliver forceps, Allison's healthy, everything's good. How long was that sucker in your kidney? It came out about a week later. Yeah. And, uh, and then after that, did you basically feel like normal? I mean, I guess yes. like any postpartum woman would. I mean, your kidney was fine. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No residual problems. Had a mm-hmm. sonogram a couple months afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, I did sleep pretty well when I had it because half of my <laughs> urine was going in a bag. So yeah. I didn't have to get up and pee every three hours overnight, so, cool. which was nice. <laughs> that was the only good thing about it. <laughs> yeah. you get to, That's that's all right. That's an interesting, that's a good sell. After the, the, nephrostomy, the fancy term, yes. the kidney tube, after it came out and you're in your postpartum period, number one, what do you think about coming back to work after that point? Because now you've, you know, you've worked while you're pregnant, you know, you sort mm-hmm. of like, you were really, you know, like, yeah. you know, military in yes. that sense. And now you've <laughs> delivered. Did you feel like I need to come back really soon? Or you're like, I'm just going to, you know, take my time with my daughter. What was your thought process initially? Take 12 weeks off. 12 weeks. I was like, yeah. I'm going to do that. It's the most I can take. I'm right. going to do it. Right. And then I think around week 10 or 11, I was like, I'm kind of ready to go back. <laughs> like I miss people. Yeah, right. <laughs> and like work is part of who I am. Right. And I was like, well, it's great, but like a 10 week old does nothing. <laughs> but <Yeah>. like <laughs> eat, sleep and poop. Yeah. So it's, it's yeah. I mean, I, I know I have friends like that also. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, okay, so looking back at this whole experience, uh, I'm I'm curious. Uh, the first thing I want to ask you is, you've had this experience yourself as a as a doctor, <laughs> as a mother. You know, a complicated pregnancy. Unfortunately, everything went well, but it was certainly quite rocky and mm-hmm. more quote unquote exciting than we thought it would be. The fact that you've had a a pregnancy and delivery and be sort of a more complicated one, how does it affect? the way you treat patients now, does it affect it at all? Do you feel any different about how you treat patients compared to maybe before you got pregnant? I think it's made me a lot more sympathetic. Uh Like I think early on I had a little trouble connecting with patients and now I have something concrete. And I also get why very minor things are very frustrating. Mm-hmm. You know, like people who are like, oh, I can't exercise the way I used to, or, oh, I'm not sleeping that much. And now I have to sleep more on the weekends. You mm-hmm. know, I used to just say like, oh, whatever, that's pregnancy. Right. Now I'm like, yeah, that's pregnancy, but I get it. It really sucks. <laughs> do, do you find that the the patients feel the same way? Like they feel a stronger connection because you've been through this? Or is it just a way for you to sort of, you know, reach out to them and connect to them? Yeah, I think it's just more me reaching out and con- connecting. I sometimes feel weird if I'm bringing in too much of my own experience because I don't want them to think I'm like taking it over or making it a comparison. Right. One thing, for example, is forceps. Like I've done a bunch of them in the last couple of months. And after the delivery, I'll always say like, oh, my daughter was born with forceps. Then they'll go, oh, that makes me feel so much better. And I was like, I don't want to say that beforehand because I don't want it to seem like it's like. Right. Because it was uh, fine for me, it'll be fine for you. Right. Yeah. uh, We had, I had this conversation with one of our um, health woman podcasts with Steph Lamb. Mm -hmm. About, you know, this concept of as a doctor, is it better to have that personal experience 
Is it neutral or is it worse? Like it's like we never expect our oncologists to have you know survived cancer in order mm-hmm. to be good oncologists, right? One has nothing to do with the other, and so does having an OB who went through pregnancy, is it better, neutral, or sometimes potentially worse? And I think it really just depends on the attitude. Mm-hmm. You know, on the one hand, I think there's an advantage because again, you can have that sort of personal empathy, like, oh, I know what you're going through. I went through that. Uh, on the other hand, it's not like you need that in order to empathize. Yeah. Uh, but I do think that some people take it to a degree where it makes it worse, where, you know, as a patient, you're like, dude, like your pregnancy is not mine. Like just because it worked out well for you doesn't mean it worked out well for me or just because you weren't afraid of something doesn't mean I won't be afraid of something and like enough about you. You know, it's supposed to be about me. And I think that, again, it's really on us as doctors to be balancing how much we share and sort of try to, you know, connect in that sense versus how much we not stick our business into her pregnancy. And I'm not saying I know what the right balance is, but it's it's always interesting in that sense. It's mostly unique to, you know, to women, OBGYNs. But even for me, like, you know, sometimes we'll talk about my my wife's pregnancy and again, I don't have the same symptoms, but I sort of mm-hmm. like, uh, for yeah. example, my third was also born forceps. <laughs> and I do tell people that I say, you know, one of my kids is born forceps. And I think, you know, just to sort of give a sense that I trust them, that I think that they're, um, you know, safe and that mm-hmm. they can be done. Uh, but I think that's, that is a really interesting aspect about being an OB yeah. and then being pregnant during your, (laughs) during everything. And I'm also curious if you had to go back, right? So now you're, you're three years older, you have a three-year-old daughter, you're three years more mature, you're three years more senior. Would you have done anything differently yourself? You think during that pregnancy, you're leading up to it or during that maybe, uh, you know, compared to before? I don't think so. Right. You're about the same. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. Melka, thank you so much for coming on, telling your story. Thank uh, you for having me. I, I, I know it. I was a part yes. of it, and it's awesome. <laughs> and I'm sure our listeners will appreciate it. It's always interesting when doctors become patients. On the one hand, having the inside scoop on what's going on is helpful, but it can also make things complicated. Do you see someone you know or someone you don't know? Do you want familiarity or anonymity? For an OB who's pregnant, it's even more magnified, as you know it's going to end in a delivery on the labor floor which is where all of your colleagues and friends work. Melka's story touches on all of this, and when things got complicated, it ultimately didn't matter, and it all worked out, but it was pretty wild at the time. Thanks, Melka, for sharing your story. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Healthful Woman Podcast. To learn more about our podcast, please visit our website at www.healthfulwoman.com. That's H-E-A-L-T-H-F-U-L-W-O-M-A-N.com. If you have any questions about this podcast or any other topic you would like us to address, please feel free to email us at hw at healthfulwoman.com. Have a great day. The information discussed in Healthful Woman is intended for educational uses only. It does not replace medical care from your physician. Healthful Woman is meant to expand your knowledge of women's health and does not replace ongoing care from your regular physician or gynecologist. We encourage you to speak with your doctor about specific diagnoses and treatment options for an effective treatment plan.